If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke. Um, we're going to start in uh, Luke 5, and we're going to eventually make our way to our passage for tonight. So you can go and turn to Luke five fifteen, and we'll go from there. Uh, but like has been mentioned, uh, we are starting a new series uh, on prayer. Uh, we're going to call this series A Praying Life uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we just finished a series called A Missional Life, right? And I thought it fit, uh, but also... We are borrowing this title from a book by a guy named Paul Miller, who wrote a book called A Praying Life, which I highly recommend if you're looking for a great book on prayer. Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, fantastic. Um, we're not going to necessarily walk through the book or anything, but, uh, but I think it's a very appropriate thing for us to kind of title this series based on what we've been talking about, and really even just what it means to have a, a life of prayer with God. So kind of where we're going with this series uh, over the next four weeks, uh, minus spring break being there in the middle, we're going to talk about what it means to connect with God in a distracting world. We'll talk about what prayer is, how to pray, you know, what we need to know to pray, um, even you know, how do we balance busyness in prayer, even attempt to answer some questions about prayer that you may have uh, as well. And of course, we'll be challenged to pray more. Um, and I think it's going to be a great series for us. Uh, but just so you know, this is not a guilt trip series. You know, uh, I had a phrase I used a couple years ago with our students back during Lent 2016. I said, we believe in grace here at Alberta Baptist Church, you know, that we're not about guilt. And so um, as we talk about um, prayer, I know that prayer is not a place that many of us feel like we're just killing it in our spiritual life. And so we want this to be an equipping and encouraging and a challenging series, but not one where we make you just feel guilty like, you guys all suck at prayer. You should pray more. You know, what are you doing? That's not what we want at all. We, we want this to be a uplifting. Do it. We do suck at prayer, but we all want to get better together, which is the idea. So, um, so it will not be a series of guilt. I hope it will be a series of, of encouragement. Um, but we're going to start tonight talking about prayer. But, you know, in, in the church, we use this word discipleship a lot. Um, and there have been a lot of books written recently about discipleship and what that means. And I think sometimes in the midst of all of our church language, we kind of cloud what it means to really be a disciple. Um, and I think we mentioned even earlier this semester, maybe last semester, how really discipleship is really a pretty simple thing. It's apprenticeship to Jesus. You think about an apprentice, and like, what does an apprentice do? Someone define apprenticeship for me. Exactly. They watch someone else do a job so they can then do it. So if you want to become like a mechanic, you know, uh, which is not just, you know, hands um, jobs, it's also jobs that inquire, you know, like you know, your mind as well, which being a mechanic definitely requires your mind because I can't work on my car and do anything that won't break it. But a mechanic, for example, they, they're an apprentice at first. They watch another expert mechanic work on cars and they learn from watching them do that. And so when it comes to discipleship, I think a really helpful word for what it means to be a disciple is to be an apprentice to Jesus. And the way that we watch Jesus is we don't necessarily have him, you know, beside us kind of going about the day and learning from him in that way. But we do have the Holy Spirit inside of us. But also we have the Gospels to look at the way that Jesus lived and to really learn to imitate him. And so much of our growth as Christians and growth in discipleship is simply to look at the way Jesus lived and ask the question, how can I live that way today? If I were to, you know, be all old school WWJD and ask, you know, what would Jesus do and how would Jesus live my life if he were me? That's the idea of discipleship and how we grow in that. Um, and so prayer is a part of that discipleship process that we grow in you know, following Christ, imitating him, and also prayer sometimes gets called a spiritual discipline. You know, we did a series a few years ago on spiritual disciplines. We'll do one again, I'm sure, before many of you graduate. Um, but spiritual disciplines, you know, are a thing that get talked about in the church sometimes. But really all they are are things that we, you know, discipline. We kind of, you know, engage, you know, with discipline and 
focus and sometimes doing it when it's even hard, but we discipline ourselves in certain spiritual activities to grow in our apprenticeship to Jesus. And so things like Bible reading is a spiritual discipline because it requires hard work, but it's for our spiritual good. But prayer is also one as well, and it does require a lot of hard work. We'll talk about that, Um, but it's part of this process of growing to be more like Christ. And so what we're going to do tonight as we get going with our series is I want us to look at the life of Jesus for just a minute and see what did Jesus think about prayer and how did Jesus pray and how did Jesus engage with God in his prayer life. So if you have your Bible open, uh, let's look at Luke 5. We're going to start in verses 15 through 16 of Luke 5. We'll make our way through a few chapters and then we'll land on one text we'll stay in for the rest of our time tonight. Okay, so let's do this. Uh, Look at me with Luke 5 verses 15 through 16. It's talking about the life of Jesus and his prayer life. Uh, It says this, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. If you have the NIV, it says he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. So we see one part of Jesus' prayer life is that even as his ministry and his life got busier, he prioritized prayer even more. The more well-known he was, the more he prayed. He would withdraw often to pray. Flip over to chapter 6. You may have to turn a page. You may have to scroll, you know, in your, um, your scroll of the, the app there. There's a, I know, that was a great sentence. Sorry. I, I, had, I, I had a joke in my head I was going to say, and I, I, for your sake, filtered it, and it made my sentence not make sense, okay? Um, someone once, uh, this is a tangent, someone has once told Charles Spurgeon, they were like, Spurgeon, like, why do you joke so much from the pulpit? Like, it's really like, I don't like how much you joke. And he told the lady, he was like, lady, if you know how much I didn't say, you would be very thankful for what I do say. And I feel like that many times when I, when I speak, I'm like, if you guys just knew what goes through my head when I'm up here, you'd be thankful for even the weird stuff I say sometimes, okay? All right, so anyway, <laughs> move it. But I, yeah, me too, I'm very thankful as well, all right? For everyone's sake. All right, Luke 6, uh, Luke 6, 12 through 13, another example of Jesus in prayer. It says this, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. So tonight, y'all, we're staying here all night. We're going to pray all night, okay? Let's go. No, I'm kidding, not tonight, all right? But we see that not only did Jesus stay up all night to pray, but here's the thing. He stayed up all night to pray really for what? To choose the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles who would be sent out, you know, to really start the church in the world. Jesus stayed up all night praying about that decision, probably of who to, who to choose. He had a big decision. He stayed up all night praying about it. Flip over a few more chapters. Go to Luke 9. Luke 9, uh, verses 28. I'll kind of walk through the story real quick, but Luke 9, 28. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke 9, 28 says this. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Skip down to verse 34. Verse 34, it says, As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So we have Jesus here, like literally being transformed in prayer. We call it the transfiguration. But that Jesus having incredibly, incredible encounters with God in prayer, where literally he becomes a more accurate representation of who he was as the God-man uh, in this moment in prayer. Go to one more section, and we'll land here. Luke 11. 
That's where we'll stay for the rest of the night. Luke 11, 1. Luke 11, 1. It says this. 11, 1, it says, now, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, John being John the Baptist, taught his disciples. I'll stop there for a minute. We'll, we'll keep going in just a moment. So we see in the life of Jesus that really prayer seemed to be a pretty indispensable and significant part of Jesus' relationship to God, that Jesus' own faith and spiritual walk had prayer as a crucial element of it. And we saw things like the more popular and busy he got, the more he prayed. You know, he sacrificed sleep to pray. He, he prayed all night before a big decision. At one point, prayer literally transforms him. And, and then also, we see prayer was where Jesus encountered God the most clearly. And it's a pretty easy thing, I think, to say that Jesus probably seemed to really enjoy prayer and, you know, he seemed to seek as much time in prayer as he could with God. Can we all kind of agree on that picture of Jesus in the, in the Gospels? So if discipleship is apprenticeship to Jesus to live the way that he lived, if he were us today, then this model that Jesus gives us of prayer, I think is a, the kind of lifestyle that God wants us to have for our prayer life and the kind of life he's inviting us, inviting us into. But here's the deal. I don't think any of us look at the life of Jesus and say, yeah, that, that's totally my life of prayer. Like, I don't think any of us are like, yeah, I feel the same joy and, you know, um, intensity about prayer that I really want to stay up all night to pray over a decision that I'm, you know, the more busy I get, the more I want to pray. If we're honest, I don't think any of us are probably in that place that, like I mentioned, I don't think any of us are killing it in prayer. That none, none of us, you know, I've never met a Christian who feels like they're just really amazing in their prayer life. And that's part of the reason we're, we're going to do this series. Um, but I want us to be honest for just a minute about the reality of the struggle of prayer. Here's the thing. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm a quote-unquote professional Christian. And I would dare say that prayer is one of the areas I struggle the most with when it comes to my walk with Christ. That just being disciplined in prayer, it's, it's hard for me. And so I can imagine it's hard for all of us. And so we're going to be real about this tonight and talk about the reality of prayer. Just consider a few things that make it difficult for us to pray. The fact of distraction. Uh, in that book I mentioned by Paul Miller, he says this. He says, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. So congratulations, you, you found the hardest place, all right? We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. It feels useless, as if we're wasting time. And we got to remember the reality that we all have today in 2020, we have, you know, a device in our pocket that literally has access to all of the world's information and is constantly ready to distract us, that there are national, multinational companies who invest billions of dollars to distract us and addict us to their devices. <laughs> you know, that I, I mentioned recently at BCM, I feel like cigarettes are, are, sorry, phones are like the cigarettes of this generation that will look, you know, back a generation or two from now and be like, man, why do we ever give people such unmitigated access to a phone in that way? We'll look back and be like, man, that was a terrible idea. You know, but here we are today in this. You know, and we got to realize that even today they talk about the distraction or the attention economy, that really the biggest market right now is the attention of people. And Apple and Google and all these companies are fighting for ways to keep us distracted, keep us focused on our devices. And really that plays a big part in the destruction in our souls, I think, in terms of not engaging with God. And we'll talk more about that as we go through this series. But not only are we distracted, but we're busy. You guys remember a thing from maybe the early 2000s, maybe early in your life, a thing called boredom? Y'all remember that? It used to be a thing. <laughs> you used to be like waiting in line somewhere, or, you know, at a red light, and you just had to sit there and think about stuff, I guess. I don't know what you did. You couldn't play your phone and you know, check your Instagram or snap your bestie or whatever you do these days. Get on TikTok. I don't understand TikTok, but whatever it is y'all doing there. Um, you know, like we didn't have the devices to distract us, right? 
that actually we had moments in our days where we just kind of had to sit there and, and think to ourselves. And there's been lots of studies shown recently about how even the, the lack of quiet moments in our life is playing a big, you know, inhib- it's, it's inhibiting our ability to be creative, to think deeply, because we're always, you know, one glance away on our phone from having our minds engaged in some random cat meme we've seen online or even some like news post that we've seen that we never have to be bored because we always can be distracted. And that even in our spiritual lives can play a role when it's really hard to be present with God, that even the small little quiet moments of the day that we maybe used to have are being pulled away from us. Even those small ways to connect with God, because we always have a device that can distract us. Another thing that makes it hard to pray is in our culture, we're very self-sufficient. You know, that we feel like between, you know, our just culture and, you know, between like health insurance, does it really mean that I have to pray that much about being healed? If I have health insurance, take care of that. If my parents have health insurance, you know, do I really need to pray, um, you know, for money if I feel like I have a good job that takes care of me? You know, we have all these kind of cultural things that are built in place to where in culturally it makes it hard for us to really think prayer is that important if we have all these safety nets, you know, that we don't have to worry about the necessity of God moving in different ways. So we're self-sufficient in our culture. We're also plagued by secularism and cynicism. Uh, We'll talk more about this in a minute, but we're plagued with the answer to the question, does God even really answer prayer? Does God really care about what's going on in our lives? You know, does it even matter if I pray? Like, if I pray or don't pray, wouldn't the same thing happen either way? Like, isn't God sovereign and in control, and isn't he know what's going to happen and know what I ask even before I ask it, so should I even pray? Like, why, why does prayer even matter if that's the case? You know, does prayer even change things? These kind of questions that we'll talk about, a little bit tonight and more in future weeks. Um, but I think these are really things that really make it really hard. And I would agree with Paul Miller. We probably live in the hardest culture ever when it comes to being you know, healthy in our prayer lives. You know, many studies I've seen uh, say that the average Christian prays for less than five minutes per day. Um, and I think that's probably an optimistic number. You know? um, but the thing is, I think every Christian struggles with this idea of you know, not only praying enough, whatever that means, that word enough is really probably unhelpful, but we struggle with the idea of really engaging well with God in prayer. And then even when we pray, you know, we find ourselves maybe sitting down and praying and you feel like, okay, I'm going to pray. And you pray for what, for everything you can imagine. You pray for like your grandma and you pray for the president and for your test. And, and you know, you think, oh man, I've been praying for like 30 minutes. You look down at your watch, it's been like three minutes you've been praying and you've gone through everything you can imagine to pray about. You know, we've all been there. And I think we all, you know, have a lot of room to grow and if God really does answer prayer and move in big ways through our prayers, then are we praying the kind of big prayers that God wants us to pray? So these are all things we'll talk about. But normally, I think when we think of prayer, I know in my life, I tend to think too small of prayer. And in my time in the church, I feel like I've observed normally as Christians, we always tend to think too small of prayer. That normally when we think of prayer, we maybe think you know, of praying for maybe your sick grandma, for the missionaries in China, maybe praying for that test you have coming up. And those are all good things to pray for. There's nothing wrong with praying for physical needs. You know, Jesus spent much of his ministry healing people. He cares about our physical needs. Don't hear me wrong in that at all. It's obviously good to pray for missionaries. But I think many times we limit prayer to being something where we kind of just ask, like this grocery list of things to God, this kind of relevant needs we have in the moment, and we miss out on such a bigger picture of what I think the Bible paints uh, prayer to be. That's what we're going to kind of engage at tonight. So as we start this, I want to give you like a really simple definition that's going to blow all your minds. You'll write this down and, you know, have it etched, you know, on your wall. Or do you etch things on a wall? You don't do that. Write it on your wall. And I'm going to give you a mind-blowing definition of prayer. Are you ready? Uh, prayer is simply talking with God. It's mind-blowing. You know, you're going to tweet that. If people tweet it anymore, you know, 
Is anyone actually active on Twitter? Any of y'all actually big tweeters? Okay, we have, yeah, we got like one person. Yeah, two people maybe, yeah. So but that's the thing. The definition of prayer I'll give you for this series is this. It's simply talking with God. Now notice the phrase there. It's talking with God, not talking to God, right? We'll talk more about that, but it's a two-way street. It's not just talking to God, but it's talking with God, all right? It's also hearing from him. But prayer is so much more. It's not less than, but it's so much more than simply, you know, reading off a list of needs that we have to God. It's not like God is the cosmic Santa in the sky. We just read off off our Christmas list of what we want. It's so much bigger than that. And here's the thing. More than anything, I think the Bible paints a picture that prayer is not about just asking needs from God, but it's about connecting with God. That's the idea of prayer. It's about connecting with God. It's about expressing and deepening our relationship with him. Because, you know, think about it. If you have a relationship with a person, you know, a conversation, you know, it's simply, it's not just to talk, but it's to deepen a relationship. Like when me and Haley go out on a date, you know, we'll go out for dinner and we'll chat. But our conversations that we're having over dinner aren't just so I can say, yeah, well, I talked to my wife while I was on a date. Like it's not an obligation and it's not just kind of conversation for the sake of conversation. Conversation leads to a deepening of a relationship. You get to know that person better. I get to know how Haley's day was, how her week was, you know, what's going on in her heart and her mind. And so conversation never is an end to itself. Conversation is always to grow a relationship. That's because prayer really, more than even just like conversation, is connecting with God, but also prayer is an orientation, not just a practice. That prayer is an orientation. I'll give you one verse to kind of write with this if you want to. But 1 Thessalonians 5.17 in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this. He says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now you hear that, we've probably heard that in the church a lot, pray without ceasing. But honestly, it's not possible in the way that we think of prayer to pray without ceasing, because at some point you gotta cease to do other things, right? <laughs> that prayer, you know, if it's always having a conversation in your mind with God, we can't pray without ceasing in that sense. But we can pray without ceasing if it's an orientation that we have with God. That yes, we definitely have probably multiple times we need throughout the day to, to connect with God, to have a conversation with him. But prayer is much more than even just a conversation. It's an orientation that we have. And it should be a regular part of our relationship with God, just like talking to a friend, you know, having conversations with them is a regular part of your relationship with them. So we need to find regular times and places to pray, but also we can make prayer spontaneous. That one thing I'm trying recently in my own prayer life is to sometimes, instead of listening to the radio or, you know, a podcast, I'm a big podcaster right now in the car, Um, instead of doing that, I just turn off the radio and I pray. You know, sometimes I pray out loud and I maybe look weird to the person at the stop sign, you know, or whatever, or the red light, you know, but I, but I pray out loud. I mean, I just pray in my own mind, but even using those kind of moments of traveling around to pray and connect with God, um, that's really the idea of it being an orientation. So with all that said, let's get into these verses tonight. We're going to be in Luke 11 verses two through four, and that's where we'll take the rest of our time uh, to be at tonight and see Jesus's teaching on prayer. So if you'll read with me, we're going to be in Luke 11, two through four, this is the disciples coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray, which is an incredible question, but Jesus, teach us how to pray. And this is how he responds. He says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. 
So that's the shorter version of what you probably heard is the Lord's Prayer. You probably were inserting phrases in your head there as I read that, because Luke gives us the like, you know, kind of Cliff Notes version, uh, the longer version. Matthew gives us in Matthew 6, and many times it gets called the Lord's Prayer, right? Which we get that idea, but really I think it's more helpful to think it's the Lord's model prayer, because really he gives it to us as like a template, as a model to pray. It's not something that we have to pray verbatim all the time, although there's nothing wrong with that, but it's really given to us as a template. Um, But it's interesting how in these verses, this is probably the only time we have the disciples ever asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, teach us to do this. They observe Jesus casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching, all this kind of stuff. But we don't have any record of them asking Jesus to teach him to do that. But they ask him, hey, teach us to pray. Now, this is probably speculation, but you know, the question could be, maybe they asked this question because they noticed over time with Jesus that his prayer life was probably the most impactful thing of his spiritual walk that led to fruit in his life. That they noticed that prayer was probably the, you know, almost the silver bullet, you know, the crucial thing in his life that led to the ministry he was able to do. And they saw how prayer was such an important thing in his life. They were like, okay, Jesus, like we see how impactful prayer is in your life. You got to teach us how to pray. Like, we need this. We, we need your help in prayer. And then he gives us this response. And I love this response. And what we're going to do tonight is this. We're not going to walk through every bit of the Lord's Prayer in Luke and kind of analyze all of it. We'll spend some time next week talking more about it. But what I want to do is this. Is I want to look at four things from Jesus' model prayer that we need to know if we're going to have the right heart posture for prayer. So tonight we're mainly talking about posture of prayer. I don't mean like, should you kneel? Should you stand? Did you put your hands together and bow your head? By the way, nothing in the Bible tells you you have to close your eyes and bow your head to pray. Nothing wrong with that, but nothing in the Bible says that. People stand up, lay down, raise their eyes to heaven, all kinds of stuff in the Bible to pray. You can pray in all kinds of ways, you know, by the way. Um, so we're not talking about physical posture of prayer, although your physical posture can have a big impact on the, even just getting your mind in the right place. I think kneeling can be super helpful. If you're distracted in prayer, you just like letting your body guide your mind is a real thing. That's a different conversation. We'll talk more about that later. Um, And we'll get more into the technical stuff about prayer later. But for tonight, I want to point out four things that I think are crucial for us if we're going to understand prayer right and if we're going to really be able to engage in a healthy way in prayer. Otherwise, we're going to view prayer as a chore, prayer as something that's difficult, prayer as something that we don't really want to do if we're honest. Like, we're going to look at these things and be honest and see four things. So four things are this, and they're on your sheet, all right? Number one is this, is that God is your father and you are his child. God is your father And you are his child. It may seem simple, but we got to get this. That we have to have the right view of God if we're going to pray, really at all. But if we're going to pray in a healthy way at all, we have to have a right view of God. Because Jesus, you know, referring to God as as his father was Jesus' most favorite way to refer to God. That he used God as his father over and over again in his life. And the truth is that many of us have bad views of God that really inhibit our ability to pray to him well. You know, you've heard the famous quote probably before, A.W. Tozer, that the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. You know, and many of us have different pictures of what God is and who God is. Some of us, we think of God as an old man in the sky. He's kind of looking down from heaven, wherever that is. He's waiting for us to screw up, you know, waiting to, you know, maybe not cast a thunderbolt, but he's looking down with disappointment looking down with disapproval. So when we go to pray, we're like, gosh, I know God, it's been like, you know, a week or two weeks since I prayed, you know, but please don't be mad at me. And we have this really disappointed, old, grumpy man version of God that we we view. And that makes prayer hard. You know, or we have like the CEO of the world, CEO of the universe view of God, where he's kind of too busy to really care much about our prayers that we kind of throw him up there, but he's kind of 
taking care of like the coronavirus issue around the world. And, you know, so like, we're just not concerned if God even hears or cares about our prayers in that way. He's too busy. You know, maybe we have a view of God where he's more like a system or like a, you know, a force or something, you know, and we, we imagine he's not really that personal. He's more of a system that we pray to. And so, you know, does this really change anything at all in that way? You're not thinking about Star Wars. I know. Um, okay, but come back with me. So you think of him more of a system in that kind of sense. He's not personal. But the way that Jesus directs us in prayer to begin our prayers is, you know, God is our Father. Doesn't mean you always had to say Father when you first pray, but I think it's a great practice to say Father and to remind yourself of that. So we got to remember that if you're a Christian, God is your Father, and we can talk to him as our Father. A good reference verse here for you, if you want to write it down, is Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15, one of the most famous verses on this, says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba being Aramaic for, for father or dad or daddy, if you're going to be that way, you know, about it. I don't know about praying to God as daddy. We had a conversation about that at, uh, at, um, earlier, but I get the heart behind that, okay? You know, but here's the thing you got to remember is that if you're a Christian, that you've been brought from being an orphan in sin and darkness and brokenness, you've been brought out and adopted by God the Father, that he has seen you, loved you, and chosen you to be your child, to be his child, that God has adopted you. And Jesus uses this picture very intentionally because think about a good father-child relationship. You know, a good father-child relationship is where the child knows their father loves them. They know their father likes them, not just loves them, but likes them, cares for them, and that their father cares about their needs and wants to provide for them. And they have their best interests in heart. That's a good father-child relationship. And I get that for a lot of y'all, or not a lot of you, hopefully, but some of you, this is hard. This idea of God being father is hard because you have a lot of father wounds maybe in your life to where maybe your father has left you or abused you, hurt you in some kind of way, you know, or abandoned you. And I'm really sorry for that if that's happened. But I'll say this, don't let your father wounds from an earthly father keep you from being able to embrace God as your heavenly father. It's incredibly important. Now you may need to go, you may need to go through a lot of work, a lot of healing, maybe go on a journey to process and work through those wounds but I promise you that it's worth whatever worth you put into it. It's worth whatever work you put into it to find healing in that way so you can engage God as your heavenly father, that you can you know, call him father and maybe be able to move, you know, maybe not completely past, but kind of be able to process and work through seeing God not as a projection of your earthly father, but as the perfect heavenly father that he is. I promise it's worth it. But Paul Miller in his book on prayer, I love his quote he says about uh, prayer with God being our father. He says, most of us struggle with prayer because we have a dysfunctional relationship with our Heavenly Father, that we know the right theology, but we struggle to spend time with Him, that theoretically we're close to our Heavenly Father, but practically we're distant. And it's very wise for us. And so I want to give you a few things to think about when it comes to praying like a child, and we'll move on to our next section. Because we really need to recover the importance of praying to God like a child. I don't mean using like childish vocabulary, but in the spirit of God being our Father, us being His child. Think about kids. And how crazy they are sometimes. I'm preparing for this in my own heart right now <laughs> for the upcoming future. But think about, you know, how kids come to their parents. They come messy to their parents. I am type A OCD. I'm kind of dreading having spaghetti on my clothes all the time, which is inevitably going to come with Jude. But here's the thing, that when we go to God as Father, we got to come messy. That kids don't care about spit up and spaghetti. And for the same thing for us, like when we come to God, we don't need to feel like we have to clean ourselves up and become some better version of ourselves before we come to God in prayer. 
that if you've just completely screwed up and you feel like a failure, don't let that push you away from God, your father, because he loves you, he likes you, he wants to spend time with you. Don't let that push you away from God. If you're in Christ, you're completely accepted, you're seen, known, and loved. There's nothing that can separate you from God. No amount of bad you've ever done that can separate you from God, make him love you less. There's nobody good you could ever do to make God love you more, but his love is fixed on you in Christ. So come messy to God, but also be real. If you spend much time around kids, you know that they'll just say stuff. They'll just be honest about things. They'll say stuff people are thinking but don't want to say. Kids will just like say it. Haley has so many funny stories of her kids at school that they'll just say stuff, you know, that, you know, people are thinking but wouldn't say. That kids are just real. They're honest. Especially the younger they are, they don't know the filter thing yet, you know. So for you, like, you know, don't feel the need to pretend in prayer. I think sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves to pray in a certain way and to suddenly become King James himself in prayer, you know, and fuck, we have to use these and thous and stuff, you know, but become something we're not. Instead of being real with God, be ourselves in prayer, but also come to him with just our own, like, what's on our heart and mind. That God wants you to come. He already knows what you're thinking, right? So don't try to avoid, you know, that and move on and, like, pretend you're not thinking about this one thing that you're worried about and try to pray about missionaries in China first. Like, bring to God what you care about, what's on your heart, and let him guide your heart and mind in prayer to maybe move to other things. But be real with God in that way. Also, ask repeatedly. You know, if a kid wants something, they will nag you to death sometimes to get what they want, right? They will ask over and over again, you know? And so for you, you know, keep on praying. You know, we'll see this in some of our teaching later on, but Jesus tells us to keep on seeking, keep on knocking, ask and the door will be open to you. You know, there's a story really after this in Luke 11, it also talks about a persistent widow who keeps on knocking on the door to get food in the middle of the night. And finally she gets the answer. It's because of her persistence. So keep on asking in prayer, don't give up. Also, believe boldly. Believe boldly. You know, a child with a good dad, they're going to trust every word their dad says, and they're going to think that their dad can beat up every other dad in the universe, no matter how scrawny they may be. Jude, I hope, thinks that I can beat up every other dad, which is not true at all, you know, but I hope he thinks highly of me in that way. And every little kid, especially, thinks the world of their dad and trusts them, and they believe boldly that their dad is the best one in the world that's going to take care of them. And, you know, how much, you know, would that maybe be true in the mind of a little kid, but how much more true is that? for us as our heavenly father, that God really is the best dad, you know, out there in existence, that we can trust him, that he has our best interest at heart, that we can believe boldly that he cares for us, he wants to meet our needs, he wants to take care of us, and we can rest in him. And the last thing is this, is stop trying to get it right. That so many times, you know, uh, kids especially are just really clumsy. You know, they're leaving Legos all over the floor. You know, they, they don't know to clean up after themselves to yet remind them 17 times, you know, that they're not really worried about getting it right until you train them up in that way, but they're sincere. And the same thing for us is true. You know, is that so many times I think we have this idea in our heads that we have to be a certain kind of way in prayer or that we, we don't know how to pray well, so it's not gonna pray or we just feel bad about our clumsiness in prayer and we let it keep us from even engaging in God. But consider this, consider the way that a little kid learns to walk. You know, when a little kid learns to walk and first begins to pull themselves up, I'm sorry, this is lots of kid analogy. I'm about to be a dad, so like kid stuff is all in my head right now, okay? Um, but a way a little kid learns to walk, he first pulls himself up and he eventually gets where he takes that first step, right? And inevitably, he takes that first step and what happens? He falls, right? He didn't get up and just start walking around the room. That'd be crazy, you know? That'd be like Jesus maybe did that, but not other kids, okay? So he, he takes that first step and he falls. And he gets up again and he falls again. But what is every like parent on YouTube or Instagram doing when that kid takes that first step? They are freaking out. They're like clapping, they're they're wigging out, you know. No parent sees their little child take a first step and it's like, oh my gosh, like 
What is your problem? It's one step in front of another. You know, it's not that hard. I've been doing this for 30-something years. Why can you not figure it out? You know, like, no parent does that. They celebrate the small steps, right? They don't focus on the, the, the falling. And so for God as our Heavenly Father, this applies to much more than just our prayer life. But even in our prayer life, God is celebrating the steps you're taking. God is celebrating the growth he sees in your life. He's not looking at you with disappointment and thinking, why can't you just get your act together? Why can't you just pray? You know, like, I'm, you know, worthy of all worship. I got angels singing to me for eternity. Like, you know, why can't you get in the game and figure it out and praise me too? Like, God, that's not God. God is up there celebrating the steps you're taking. And he wants you to keep taking steps and grow, but he's celebrating the small steps. And even in the failures, he's right there saying, no, you can do it. Get up again. Come on, we can do this together. All right? Because he's a good and perfect heavenly father. Okay, so we got to recover the truth of that. Next thing is this. We'll move a little bit quicker. Um, second thing is this, is that God is close, not far away. All right, in the longer version of this prayer, um, the one in Matthew 6, Jesus says, God, our father, who refers to God as our father in heaven. All right, we know that version. And that's important for us to consider that idea of father in heaven. Quick Greek word moment. Okay, the word heaven is the word uranos. Can you say that? You're all Greek scholars. You're so good. Okay, so uranos. I remembered it in, in a seminary because it sounded like a rhino, and a rhino's horn points up to heaven. Okay, so uranos, all right? Weird way my brain works, all right? So uranos, here's the thing. Most of the times you see the word heaven in New Testament, it's actually plural. It's not heaven, but it's the heavens. And many times it gets kind of translated just as heaven. There's a lot of reasons for that. But that word could also mean things like sky, air, or atmosphere. And the reason for that is this, is that Jewish thought at the time of Jesus, they kind of had three ideas of heaven, three levels, if you will, of heaven. Not in the Mormon sense of levels of heaven, okay? But like different levels of heaven. The first level of heaven being like the air right around you, the sky, the atmosphere right around you. The second level would be what we call like, you know, space, you know, like clouds and even past that, the stars. That's like the second heaven. And the third level of heaven would be what we would think of, like, you know, as Americans today, as heaven where God is at. Like God and the angels are in the third heaven. Many people think when Paul says he was caught up in the third heaven, he's talking about, like, where God is kind of heaven, not, like, way up in, you know, the space or something. Like, there's three different levels of heaven. So when, um, so first important to know is this, is that God does dwell and reign in heaven. There is a place called heaven. And that's where we go when we die, that Christians do go to a place called heaven. But that place called heaven is not an eternal place. That if you read Revelation 21, that heaven eventually comes to earth. And that we don't all, when we die, get sucked away to some place in the sky to live on the clouds forever. But that heaven actually comes to earth. And that there's a new heaven and a new earth. A new creation. And we'll talk more about that maybe in the future. Um, But for us, the word heavens indicates that God is ruling not from some faraway place and we send out messages to him, but instead God is ruling even in the space and he's present in the space even right around us. That the heavens, saying he's our father in the heavens, means that God is not just at some distant heaven you know, that we conceive somewhere else, but that God is the God of even the very air around us. Even the air that we breathe into our bodies and our lungs, that he is right around us. He is as close as, this, as our skin. He's as close as the air around our skin. He's the God of the heavens. Does that make sense? That God is close. He's not far away. And so here's the thing. That means for us is that the reality is that when God feels distant, it's not him that moved. Because if God is the God of the heavens, being yes, he rules from heaven, but also he is the God who is as close to us as our very skin, as the very air around us, that when God feels distant, it's not because God moved. Because he is the God of the heavens, the air around us. 
You know, often, you know, sometimes when we get really still, maybe you kind of wake up early one morning and you get some coffee and you sit down and you begin to pray. Many times we feel like we have this more, more keen sense of God's presence being there with us. You know, we get into a worship night and we feel God's presence there more with us. Or, you know, maybe you're a night person. You get away and you go for like a night drive and you feel God's presence there with you in a more specific way. So you've probably been there in many ways. And really, the truth of the reason that we feel God being more present with us in those moments is not because God is like a morning person and he really likes when you kind of get up and, you know, get coffee in the morning or God's on a night owl that he's more active and engaged at night with you or something. The reality is this, is that really God is always present with us. He's always close to us. But really the issue is that we have to take time to slow down and draw our attention and be aware of his presence there with us. Now, God does manifest his presence more keenly with the gathering of his people. But when it comes to us as individuals, the issue is not us, um, sorry, the issue is not him being distant from us, but us not slowing down to be more aware of his presence. And we'll talk more about this next week, but unconfessed sin can cloud and, and distance our relationship with God in the sense of like relational tension. We'll talk more about that. But at any moment, we're simply a confession away from God drawing near to us and being unclouded in that relationship. And so, yes, we need moments of concentration in prayer where we sit down and we actually focus in prayer and connect with God. But also, because God is so close to us, that he's as close as the air around us, that we can engage with him at any moment. We can be honest about what's on our heart and mind because he hears us and he cares for us. He's the God of the heavens, the God of the air right around us, not a God that's just far away, but he's a God that's close. He's near to us, all right? Number three, uh, God wants you to experience the joy of his presence, joy in his presence, because the third line there we see is, you know, hallowed be your name, or hallowed be your name. And that word is honestly not a word that we use a lot. You know, hallowed, um, really, but what the word hallowed means is this. It means something special, something set apart and holy. It's something special and worthy of worship. And I'm going to let Tim Keller speak for a second here, because he says it way better than I can. But Tim Keller says this. He says, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God, and even more, a wonderful sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer. We normally use prayer to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life's going smoothly and our truest heart's treasure are not varied, seldom or never do we spend sustained time in adoring God and praising God. We know God's there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. We therefore pray to get things, not to know him better. So to hallow God's name is honestly, it means to make God our deepest place of joy and happiness. To make, it, make him our deepest place of joy and happiness. Because, you know, it's, it's good and right to pray and ask things from God. And we'll talk way more about that next week. Most of next week will be, how do we ask from God? What does that look like? What does inter- intercessory prayer look like? But in the end, as a Christian, God is our joy. And no matter what we have or don't have, no matter what God gives us or doesn't, he is enough. He's enough for us. Prayer is not about getting things from God, but it's about getting more of God. Because one of the most basic definitions of a Christian is not someone who's simply prayed a prayer or walked an aisle, got baptized. The most basic definition of a Christian is someone who has found Christ to be their treasure, to be their joy. And so prayer is a way that we can, along with his word, stoke the fire of our hearts to find our joy and happiness and delight in God who is our treasure. 
So if you're feeling cold in your relationship with God, if God is feeling distant, pray. You know, if you're feeling distant from God, pray. If you don't feel like praying, if you don't have a desire to pray, pray anyway. Because in that discipline, we stoke the fire of our happiness and our joy in God. And we remind ourselves that even as we ask for things, that those things are not what we really need, but we need God born those things. That he's our ultimate source of happiness and joy. And prayer is a vital resource God has given us to make God our joy and our happiness. Last thing, and we'll begin to wrap up, is that, number four, God wants us to pray to realign you with his kingdom. Uh, You know, the longer version of this prayer from Matthew 6, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so real quick, just to remind ourselves, uh, what is God's kingdom? Well, God's kingdom is really simply this. It's God's way of doing things. It's God's way of doing things. God's kingdom is the range of his effective will, where things happen the way he's designed them to and the way he wants them to. It's where God's love, peace, righteousness, and justice reign And yes, God has allowed there to be places where his kingdom does not reign right now because he's given us free will to do those things. But in Christ, he's already begun the process of his kingdom coming. That Jesus showed us in flesh and blood what the kingdom looks like. He offered his life to save people from their sins so they can enter into God's kingdom. And one day he's going to return to complete the kingdom of God. He's going to defeat all of God's enemies and there will only be the kingdom of God. There will only be a world where God's will is completely done. There will only be a place where his effective will is done. So right now we're in the already but not yet, that Jesus has begun the kingdom, but it hasn't been complete yet. And that's why Christ tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this means two things, all right? This means two things when we pray. First, it means as we find our um, joy in God in prayer, it also means that God begins to realign our hearts to care more about his, his kingdom than ours. That really prayer in the end is not so much about us as getting things from God. It's about God shaping and changing our hearts to be realigned more with his kingdom. That God uses our heart, uses prayer in that way. You know, for an example, you know, as you begin to pray for a lost friend, you begin to maybe find in your life that you suddenly have a greater desire to share the gospel with them because you're praying for them to come to know Jesus. You know, if you're struggling to have, to have patience with your roommate, <laughs> you know, to love them well, you find that as you begin to pray for them, somehow, Love and patience just begin to spring up in your heart. Maybe not immediately, but if you commit to pray to them, uh, pray for them for a while, you'll find that patience and love begin to spring up in your heart over that person because God uses prayer as a tool to realign us with his kingdom. But the second thing we see here is this, is that we find that God invites us in prayer to be an active participant in his kingdom coming. And that means something very important, that when we pray, God does stuff. It seems simple, but when we pray, God does things. But here's the thing, when we don't pray, God doesn't do those things. When we pray, God does things. When we don't pray, God doesn't do things. That prayer is a way that we partner with God in making stuff happen. That there's things that if we don't pray for it, won't happen. Things if we do, will happen. We'll spend way more time talking about this tomorrow night, or tomorrow night, tomorrow night, come on, tomorrow night. No, talking about it next week, all right? Um, but sometimes we have in our minds this idea that, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, that God's already got it planned out, and that whether we pray about it or not, it doesn't change anything. That's actually not biblical at all. That, yes, God's purposes, his character, his will, all those things about God are unchanging. He is immutable. He's unchanging. But the Bible paints us a picture that when we go to God and ask him, that he sometimes will change his mind and do things differently and respond to us. I don't have all the theological boxes to figure that out, but we're going to talk about it even next week, that when we pray, God responds to our prayers, and God does stuff. But if we don't pray about it, God won't do anything. 
that God's not going to necessarily um, do what we pray because we're not praying about it. And that's what the Bible upholds. And we'll, we'll dive way more to that next week. You may have lots of questions about it. That's okay. Um, but really, Jesus is telling us here in, this, in his model prayer that if we, want, if we want to see things happen, then we should pray for it. And we should expect boldly for it to happen. Does it mean that we manipulate God in prayer? Because like Jesus says, we pray for his will to be done. We pray for things against his will. He's not going to answer that. But God wants us to pray for things and expect him to answer. Because prayer is a way that we participate with God in making things happen in his kingdom. All right? But as we close, I want to point out one more thing and we'll wrap up, okay? Um, As we close, notice how the first half of Jesus' model prayer is all about connecting with God, not about asking things from God. The whole first half of his model prayer is about connecting with God, not asking things from him. Because asking is, is really important. We'll talk about that next week. But we have to have the right heart posture. We have to have the right perspective of God and really perspective of what prayer is in order to really have a healthy prayer life and to see the most effective fruit in our lives about it. It's not about just asking things from God. It's about connecting with God and allowing him to open up our hearts to what he wants to do. All right? Here's the thing. I want to give you a challenge and we'll be done and we'll discuss. Okay? Here's the thing. Um, this can go along with your Lent uh, if you want to with the things that we're doing. But it's, it's this. I want to ask you for the next four weeks, you can throw a spring break in there if you want to, for the next four weeks, I want to challenge you to spend 10 minutes a day in prayer with God. It can be whenever. You may be a morning person and be like, man, I'm going to make up and make me some coffee and pray. Um, you may be a night person. You, may, you want to sit, you know, um, on your bed, maybe not lay in the bed. That may not go well. But, you know, sit on your bed and pray before you go to bed, whatever way you want to do it. But I want to challenge you to spend 10 minutes in prayer every day over the next four weeks and see what God does. As we talk more about this, you can put some of these things in, in, in practice and see what God does. See maybe how God brings vibrancy to your faith. Maybe he you know, removes some worry and anxiety. Maybe he begins to open some doors for things you've been praying about or maybe you haven't been praying about, but you know you should. And let's just see what God does if we commit to pray together over the next four, five weeks. Okay, can you do that? Cool. All right, let me pray for you guys and we'll take a few minutes to discuss. We'll be done, all right? Lord, you are so good. You are our father who cares for us, who loves us, who has adopted us. And Lord, we cast all of our cares on you. We understand that you are a place of eternal joy, that we want to find our delight in you. So I pray that uh, as we have discussed in your word tonight what it means to pray and what kind of posture we should have in prayer, I pray that this would be a challenge and encouragement to these students, Lord, um, to not feel like they have to be a pro and get this right all the time, but just to really just open the door if they haven't already to begin to pray and actively engage you in conversation and prayer. That, uh, that they would know that you celebrate even the small steps and that you love them just trying to draw near to you, that they wouldn't care about getting it perfect or even knowing what to say, but they would just draw near to you with your heart and that their faithfulness and their just pursuit of you, pursuit of you would be just a way that you begin to open so many doors of, of fruitfulness and love and joy and peace in their life and um, that you begin to use that as a way um, to have your kingdom come in their life and in the, the world around them. We love you. We pray that you would guide us in discussion tonight. We pray it in the authority of Jesus. Amen.